Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast, episode 15, in this new format in season two, thanks to Counterpoint of Sale. Uh, three exceptional guests for this uh, great talking point today on uh, the emerging technology space uh, and how it's going to affect the customer experience in the hospitality industry. Uh, I've got Chris Tate, I've got Joseph Newmeyer, I've got Josh Harrison from Counter. These guys really had so much great things to say, leaders in the industry, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy today's program, so let us know what you think. All right, welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast, episode 15, powered by Counter. Um, Great to be on this new episode. Now, we're going to talk today about um, how the landscape of the emerging technologies will shape the future of the customer experience in the hospitality industry. That is a very long leading, but a very interesting topic. Here to um, talk about these topics uh, are Chris Tate, Joseph Newmeyer, and Josh Harrison. Boys, thank you so much for being a part of the program. Um, thank you for having us. Excellent. So now we're going to do a bit of an origin story so everyone gets to know you guys uh, before we get into um, some of the questions that we have. Um, Chris, did you want to want to start off for us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Chris Tate, uh, I'm uh, Pablo Rossi's operations manager. Yep. So I oversee uh, operations at a uh, wholesale level and retail level as well. Yep. So, uh, what is what is Pablo and Rossi's? Yeah, do? So, so we are coffee roasters yep. uh, based in cool. Sydney. Uh, we have two of our own stores. So, one in uh, the Brisbane CBD and Sydney CBD. Mm-hmm. Uh, both busy venues. Cool. Uh, quite sort of forward thinking in, in our approach to hospitality uh, and what it means to be coffee roasters in, in, in the market. Sure. Um, and then we also have our wholesale uh, side of the business where mm-hmm. we uh, supply uh, oh, a little over 150 uh, wholesale accounts, so right. various cafes, and contract mm-hmm. accounts, uh, mm-hmm. and supplying them with um, uh, obviously coffee. Uh, equipment uh, and yep. support, yes. uh, looking to, to really uh, equip them to, to grow their business and be sure. successful in, in you know, this day and age in a competitive marketplace. Yes, yes. Um, it's very competitive at the moment. Very much so, absolutely. Especially in roasting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, in, a, in, in an exciting way and then yes. also in a somewhat cannibalistic, scary yes. manner as well. Most definitely. Um, so my background, I'm a chef by trade, mm-hmm. uh, spent uh, a number of years in the trenches, um, sort of learning what it means to, to be a, a hospitality professional yep. uh, and I think uh, some of the kitchens I've worked in probably really understanding what what the direction I wanted to go and the direction I didn't want to go as well. Right. Okay. Uh, the manner that I wanted to work with people, uh, so I was ever in a, in a position of authority, how I would treat people, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the kind of culture that I'd like to define within a business, the kind of culture I'd like to develop. Um, so I spent sort of a couple of years doing that. Uh, it took me around the world. I've been fortunate to, to cook in some pretty cool places, in some amazing restaurants, amazing venues. Wow. Um, but then also been able to experience some really sort of off the beaten track hospitality moments where you know, there's not necessarily four walls and a, and a hood. And you find yourself cooking over coals or you know, cooking over a campfire in the middle of Thailand or the middle of Cambodia or something like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I've, uh, wow. I've uh, managed to... Uh, produce a meal for about 100 people in, uh, in a Burmese refugee camp on the border of uh, Thailand and, wow. uh, and Burma, which was pretty amazing. Uh, I never expected to, to be doing something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, again, that's, that's hospitality. You know, it's, it's really about that. It's an industry that I love. Uh, it's an industry that uh, I guess I've 
right from leaving school, uh, wanted I just knew I wanted to be there. Um, and I guess as after nearly 15 years in it, uh, it shaped who I am and mm -hmm. I'm excited about what the future looks like. Yeah. Uh, and aside from, from that, uh, I'm a, a husband to a, a wonderful wife and a father of two kids. Yeah, it's it's an exciting stage of life. Yeah, and uh, cool. as a business owner, I'm co-owner of our city store. Is um, certainly feel the effects of um, you know both positive and, and negative customer experience. And, yes, and excited about the integration of technology. Yep, uh, and the digitization of what we do and mm -hmm. access to data and, and how that shapes our customer experience. Yeah, awesome, Chris. Thank you so much, Joseph. Yes, um, a similar background, but mostly focused more on the front of house side. Yes. So um, I originally started um, with a classic education in hospitality school, uh, hotel school in Switzerland, and um, had also the opportunity to come at some stage in that um, to Australia. So I'm the second time now officially I'm in Australia. And Is it better um, on the second time than the first time? Um, to be honest, I never thought of coming back once um, because Originally, I thought like the world is too big and too many yes. interesting places yeah. to yes. come to live somewhere twice. But yes. you see, suddenly you I have an Australian wife and a kid, and there <laughs> we go. No, who would, have, ima who would yeah. have imagined <laughs> six years ago? Um, after finishing that, I was living in the fine dining world for a while, and then um, started to get into catering and uh, work my way up there, um, and did that for the majority of my approximately, I would say, ten years back in Germany working for uh, German's third largest or second largest um, caterer and was in charge mostly of, of large volume projects. So mm -hmm. um, everything with over a thousand people would like, sort of come over my desk, well. um, giving me great opportunities, um, being involved in one Olympics and two, uh, two and a half, I would say, two and a half World Cups, so Germany, South Africa, had oh, a, f a fantastic yeah. time there. And um, yeah, and then when I was headhunted to back 2012 um, to come um, be invited to come a second time to Australia um, by Bavaria Group. Um, the reason for that was they've been looking for a general manager for their for their large volumes um, restaurant, which is called the Löwenbräu Keller, which is now Munich Brahas. Um, they've been looking for somebody who sort of fits the needs for a while. I've actually, been looking for a, for a general manager for over a year. Well. And um, the reason why I was qualified was that I had, um, during my time back in Munich, had this really weird side hobby um, that I would run um, uh, one of the large tents on Oktoberfest as an operations manager, one out of three, and we would, I mean, volume-wise, it's unbeatable <laughs> with everything you ever come across. We, we just had well. 40,000 meals a day. I mean, wow. and it's like uh, running 250 staff, 120 chefs. Uh, that's that sort of stuff. So this is like this is like really um, um, out there, and um, um, yeah. And then I came uh, to Australia, and um, well, started a family here, supposedly, uh, and I'm proud of myself to be an Aussie since um, almost eight or nine months now. Oh, yeah, congratulations! Thank you. Was it was it going to Urban Purveyor from what you were doing at really really high volume? Was that easier? <laughs> Oh, I would say just different to be different, honest. Yeah. Diff different, different, different. Um, I think the hardest part for me was not like adapting to the situation or not adapting to a restaurant because that's like second nature. You, yes. you really blend into your environment. I think the, the, the hardest part I had was like really getting into the rules and regulations right. and, 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 and dealing with the market here. I mean, mm -hmm. to be honest, I mean, 
first thing I got was uh, police coming to my doorsteps and being in charge. I was not really proper handover at how um, uh, the law works in Australia. Yes. So I was like, oops, I'm responsible for him being drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how does that work? Uh, so that was, uh, that, that was really the challenge mm. to, to, to get across that. And um, yeah, and the fine details as well. You know, like PL looks different back then, right. back here than it does there, and that yes. sort of stuff. But right. um, nothing. It's like, uh, I think one of the best steps I ever did. Um, Australia versus Europe gives um, a much greater freedom, I would right. say. Um, it gives you better opportunities. Australia is a country of, of people who are driving and willing to do so. And um, one of the uh, one of the most interesting examples I always have is like that. You know, like you're. I, I feel like in Europe, or especially in Germany, you've been held back by boundaries of certain expectations. Okay. So um, having, for example, in Australia. Um, a German guy who opens a French restaurant with an Irish chef would be something you could succeed with. In Germany, you couldn't. Right. You, you shouldn't. Stay couldn't. in your lane. Yeah. You yeah, stay yeah. in your lane. It yes. would mean like, why are you think you are qualified for doing so? And, yes. um, and that's what I think is a shame. And that's why um, I love Australia so much. Yeah, flexibility. Beautiful. Excellent. Josh, what you ask? So. It sounds like we all had a fairly similar attraction to this idea of getting into the, the food space and the hospitality space. Um, so I had a real deep interest of becoming a chef when I first, uh, like through high school. Mm -hmm. So I went and did commercial cookery there and did a quick stint at uh, City Tower, both at the top end of that and then down in the basement with all your Asian chefs mm. doing the real work. Mm. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> uh, and then did uh, actually did some work placement as well at Four Point Sheraton. Right. Uh, so laid lots of bacon on trays, cracked lots of eggs, realised that yeah. running hotel kitchens is very different from a restaurant. Very different. Uh, and then when I finished school, um, it took nearly 30 face-to-face -face conversations handing out resumes before someone would finally give me a crack and that was at a race club. Uh, so worked with some, you know, that, that tear down, they're not like, yes. they're, they're the career hospitality people who are not necessarily like... Passionate. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're passionate about doing it right, but they're not right. passionate about creativity, right? Yeah, so it's, it's a like paycheck. A, yeah, yeah. A, yeah, it was yeah. like Consistency a 50-year-old yes. lady who was just like the commander-in-chief of this team of other like yes. mums who were doing three days a week, but she yes. was just an animal. So we do like functions, five, 600 people, that kind of stuff, yeah, at race wow. course and, and race days and stuff like that. So that was interesting way to flex all those muscles. Mm. Um, I mentioned before, my sister had gone into hospitality and so she gave me Kitchen Confidential to read by Anthony Bourdain. Uh, and if you <laughs> haven't read that book in your food service, then you should, um, because it'll either describe what you're experiencing today <laughs> or it will warn you off where else not to go. Yes. Um, I think it's a little bit more balanced now than it was back in the late 80s, 90s. Yeah, uh, I agree. But uh, it's harder to get drugs, I think is the the main reason uh, but so I, uh, I actually went and uh, did some coffee courses so I uh, was really lucky to get Toby's when Toby's was like the, the up-and-coming coffee brand that cafe scene was still growing I think that was about 2006 and um, then quickly got into coffee did a stint at Gloria Jeans which was yeah they're not they weren't like an amazing brand in terms of their coffee culture but in what, terms of what systems were like that, what were they like at that stage uh, they were expanding Rather than right, them. and uh, I think the interesting thing about Gloria Jeans is somehow they avoided that. Um, it's a bit of a segue, but they avoided that real franchise feel. 
there was yeah, still a little right. bit of black local ownership and uh -huh. Australians, like franchise is the antithesis of what we believe in. It's like, no, yeah. we're always going for the underdog. Yes. So having that degree of local ownership, that shop local type concept was probably what protected them for as long. Right. It was often because the owner was the, the front and centre yeah. of the yeah. business. He was the Brewster. He was yeah. the Brewster. Yeah. He was the guy on the till. Yeah. He was able to build that community. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So that was interesting to sort of start to see the system, the process behind running a business. Sure. Um, but then I started getting into um, seasonal work. So I went down to the snow season four years in a row uh, in Threadbow Gym and all that kind of stuff. So I was lucky enough to get a gig making coffee at Eagle's Nest, right at the top of Threadbow, which is an amazing place to make coffee. I'm looking out over everything and <laughs> there's no humidity whatsoever, um, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I did that for two years in a row and then every time I'd come back to Sydney I'd be pushing a little bit harder on getting a bit further in that industry. Uh, still mostly around coffee but then started to get into more uh, like junior management roles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Even did a stint at a salad shop that was owned by Harris Farm at the time which was interesting. And then uh, eventually started to recognise that hospitality was wearing a bit thin. So I even was a commercial cleaner for two years. Uh, really? So, yeah, better money, you work off peak days and uh, you often find leftover alcohol. So that was, that was, <laughs> uh, uh, that was good. And, I feel um, like that's the first reason you took that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you find some interesting stuff. But, um, it was also because it was more consistent. You know? Yeah, um, You've got the, the, the normal peaks and troughs of hospitality in a normal area, but you amplify that with the weather at snow, especially a place that can get put on wind hold at any given point in time. Right. And it's pretty hard to make consistent money. Right. So it's like, you know, 11 o'clock, it's blowing 120 Ks. It's like, cool, lift shut down, no one's coming back up, you have to snowboard down from work. <laughs> That's it, you wow. just lost yeah. half your day's wage. So, yeah, right. Um, but then uh, had a few interesting stints with some real B-grade companies mm -hmm. uh, that just didn't quite have the, the food service space focus that I was looking for. Uh, then did a stint with the guys at uh, Gigi Espresso, which was really interesting. They, they actually had a, um, a really clever business model focused around, uh, and this was before all the fringe benefit taxes, where they would take out a lot of the charge before, like it would come off your salary. Right. So they had um, corporate cafes and a lot of the big office buildings. So wow. um, learned a lot from the guys there. Um, had a pretty good management team. Mm -hmm. And then uh, was lucky enough to open up one of their new venues where they started to get a little bit more creative uh, at carriage works on the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was interesting. Did start to get into a bit more event management stuff, um, was running the bar there as well, so that was good. And then eventually that wears thin like a lot of hospitality gigs do. Played around with some other staff, restaurants, bars, uh, did a bit of time in the cross as well, working at a bar. Um, actually got fired from that job. <laughs> As you said, because really? uh, breach by RSA. Mm. Oh. Didn't matter the cogs were 17% and that we'd taken that up like 100% revenue. I had a shot behind the bar, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting because oh, um, I just bounced between two jobs pretty quickly. Mm. And uh, you, I think everyone in hospitality has hit that glass ceiling before. Yes. Where they're putting in the time and the effort, but they haven't been aligned with someone who can take them to that next level. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, Drinking in the cross was a good solution. Um, and I, I refused to quit that job even though I hated it. But them firing me was actually really refreshing. It was good. It also brought me down a notch of it as yeah. my 21 year old hot dog. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, so I took a sabbatical getting into a fine food store in Neutral Bay. Uh, met a really cool couple there who actually had never done hospitality before but um, had a real deep passion for showcasing 
Australian produce. So we had like, because of that backstory, we were able to get some pretty amazing things. Like we had wines from Alex Retief, Michael Hall, um, Cahill, all that kind of stuff, where often they wouldn't actually uh, sell those wines to distributors yeah, yeah. and to retail stores and stuff. Uh, also got to work with some really cool um, cheese makers and all sorts of stuff. So you, wow. that's where you start to learn about the whole other side of stuff, yeah. like finger limes and bottle seed and yeah, all that kind of stuff. The romance of the industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Holy Goat Laguna, the La Luna. Like that was mm, back yeah. before it was like the world's best cheese or whatever. But, um, <coughs> yeah. oh, and it would always cheese. like kind of go off. So I just got to eat it. <laughs> it was great. So, uh, so I spent some time there and then eventually got, um, got over that and wanted to get into something where I could really get my teeth stuck in. Yep. And uh, I'd helped uh, Gigi Espresso roll out a point of sale system when I was there, which at that point was still legacy Windows big company kind of thing uh, and I contacted the guys there just on their contact form on their website and just said hey I feel like there's a disconnect between the technical people and the hospital people and I think I could bridge that gap yes uh, so I ended up going and meeting them and it was actually Nick who is Countess founder who had just bought that company mm-hmm. uh, and then we very quickly from there started doing work together uh, and he'd already started working on a new way of doing point of sale which is where Carl was born which was online it was easy to access designed to be Primarily soft set up, but at that stage it was pretty pretty basic. So, um, for those of you following at home, this was early 2012, um, just before the iPad 2 was released. The iPad Mini was a, a twinkle in Steve's eye. Steve was still around. <laughs> oh um, yeah, wow, yeah, it's that long ago. Steve Jobs, yeah. and uh, so there was a lot of um, there was a lot harder to get that technology working as consistently yeah. as it, it is now. Okay. And even now, there's still challenges. Yeah, uh, of course. As you would attest, Chris. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's been the backstory of hospitality, and then throughout the last six years, um, I kind of did twenty percent of my life in hospitality, six yes. years there, and another twenty percent in Cannes. Wow. Uh, so it's been a pretty big chunk of uh, who I am, and a bit of a representation of that. But now I had the lu- like the luxury really of working with some really cool brands to learn more about the industry and see it from <coughs> everything from the three pitches we've done to the retail food group and seeing how. Mm broken that level of yep. that, that model. The legacy systems, yeah. Yeah, all the way down to, you know, little pop-ups. So mm. uh, the full spectrum and, and seeing which ones are, uh, you know, how, how we can help them yes. and how they can they can grow and what some of the challenges are they're facing. So. Yeah, for sure. So you're going to give some deep down knowledge, I think, into this topic. Obviously today, Josh, it would be great. But um, for Chris and Joseph, I guess, how do you... Uh, Chris first, if... How do you look at tech in your business, how are you using it at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess really it's, we would almost consider ourselves a, a, a tech company that happens to roast coffee. Interesting. Um, that's kind of our take on it, things. Um, Has it always been that way? No. Okay. No. We, we probably recognised um, about five years ago uh, uh, the ability to bring digital solutions and technology into the hospitality space yes. um, to aid better customer experience, both B2C uh, and B2B, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it'll enable us to uh, scale, enable us to um, move and pivot quickly as well in terms of our focus and our strategy. Yeah, sure. Um, the use of digital technology is one of our strategic anchors. Yes. Um, so it really does influence every decision we make. Wow, um, okay. So, uh, 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 at the essence, I guess, really, we wouldn't be where we are today without 
the mindset that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't be able to uh, scale as we have, despite our size. We're, we're still a pretty small team, mm-hmm. and uh, but we really do want to have a, a pretty big impact. Um, and use of technology enables that. What Why do you think you wouldn't be able to scale? Is it giving you more analytics than what you would have had if you were not using something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, data is a big, big thing. Yeah, it, it drives decision making. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's as much as anything. It's especially from a customer experience side of things. You you need to be able to uh, gather the data, analyze the data, and then marry that with operational information as well. Yes. Which then informs operational decisions. Yes. You know, strategies, the direction we're going. You know, yeah. Yeah. Maybe marketing direction or mm-hmm. you know a particular system or, or process or, mm-hmm. or pos system as well. Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, having data on hand is a really powerful. Mm-hmm. Tool mm-hmm. Uh, and live. You know, we used to the, the legacy systems systems would produce a report at the end of day. End of day yeah. You know where everyone's sort of hanging on the yeah. a printout. You've got a you know six foot long receipt docket where you're trying to all right work your way down. Work your way down. Yeah. And you're sort of left at the end scratching your head, going, oh, okay, well I lost yesterday's report. Maybe yeah, no, we are. I think we're up. My gut tells me we're up. Yeah. Um, yeah. To to now yeah. where well let's marry it to yesterday. Actually, let's look across the, the last week, month, quarter, mm. year to date. You know, See what's going on. And having that on hand, such a powerful resource. Yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine doing without it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and even you know, from counters early days, where I think we're running a similar report style system, um, to, to now with the integration of other apps, uh, Floodlight is a really powerful tool for analytics, okay. having that on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so having, you know, putting, Putting information in the right people's hands within the business for them to be able to make decisions yep. is really important. It's a powerful thing. Absolutely. And it yeah. especially takes a lot of it takes off a lot of emotions on, on that field because there is always this like felt truth about how the day was and how wasn't it. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, having having a support system which clearly shows you what you've been up to and what and, and it gives analysis in depth that that's that's the game changer to everything so yes. um I, even myself i learned the hard way to to really recognize and see okay there is this truth how it was on the floor today mm. uh, after lunch service and how uh, how was it really and how how can you compare what what can you take make out of that information and how to can implement it into your um into your moving forward um and the next day and the next week and the next month mm. It's yeah. a really powerful transparency. I was going to say, with the venues you guys have been in charge of, is it when you've had a certain day, has it been surprising to actually look at the data and then go, "That's not what I thought." Like, is that a, is that was that a common occurrence, or is that you know? Oh, especially for for me, especially around products, you would sometimes you would be surprised of what products you're selling more or less than the others, yes, and that of sort of stuff. Yes, and and there's also again, this is like uh, hospitality is uh, a business in uh, it's a people's industry, and everything is about emotions rather than having yes. a good time and feelings. Yes, and and therefore you, for example, would like have like a particular product, and then you suddenly realize, oh yeah, I love that product, and I really would love to have all my customers to experience it because that's a wonderful wonderful product mm-hmm. however it's like it's not that selling mm-hmm. as well for example mm-hmm. i think that 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 emotion that often comes into play within venues especially busy venues where you've got staff that are under the pump that are feeling yes. the pressure that are like we well, absolutely slammed in that last hour yeah. and or 
you know, the day as a whole was just, it was nuts. And then you sort of look back at your report and you're like, no, actually, you had, you had a good couple of hours, but, you know, yeah. mm, bookends, it's like, it was pretty quiet. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, And you suddenly realise that, you know, like you missed that 500 an hour between 9 and 11 mm. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that makes, makes that makes makes a, a big difference. difference right? Yeah, it does. Mm. I think it removes some of that emotive response. You know, mm. it's, it's, the data doesn't lie. It's, yeah, yeah. it's front and centre. It is what it is. Mm. What, it is yeah. So. Yeah. what about yourself, George? It's an interesting one because I particularly remember when I was at the CarriageWorks days, we, we would have this event on Wednesday nights where it was so you think you could dance. Oh, yeah. Whatever, whatever that show yeah. was. And yeah. so we would just get nailed by like 1,300, 13-year-old girls and their mums. And this was a pretty small, like, this is, <laughs> this was, uh, the cafe space was about the size of this room. So that was in front of house and the kitchen. So it was probably, what, four by eight? So it wasn't a huge facility, like it wasn't designed for that. And it's amazing when you get to that level of scale, how little inefficiencies can add up really quickly. Right. Mm. So knowing at the end of that service, why it felt so busy, okay, what did we sell? How many people did we sell to? Mm. And you look and go, well, yeah, it, it felt really busy, but what did we do wrong to make that? Why didn't that service flow? Right. And I think one of the, this is probably something that most people who done a good service and hospitality feel it's like you get to the end and it feels like you've been through like a war zone yeah absolutely and you either survived intact or you didn't yes. right and yeah. when you have a good you worry service, about the casualties the next yeah. day yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you've had a good service everyone's like yeah that was awesome and when you have a shit one everyone just wants to stab the other person yes mm -hmm. yeah, yeah so i think technology is really helpful like the data is really helpful to be able to go okay well why didn't that go the way we wanted it to where can we be efficient where can we better prepare next time it's amazing how many hot chips 13 year old girls eat. This is also where it's important to have uh, properly yeah. trained chefs because uh, the chef threw a 40 litre pot of oil on the stove and thought he could fry some chips in there, oh. <laughs> which is quite interesting. So, yeah, yeah right. Technology is it, it's, it's very important now, especially with how competitive the landscape is mm. and how small the margins are. Mm. Um, I think what, what we haven't touched on, or I think what, what technology means to me, and I think that's um, is one of the most important things, is the customer experience as such. Um, I think um, if when I want to use technology for something, is it, is it to provide a more seamless experience to the customer? Mm. And I think the reason for that is that the customer is demanding it. I think we are surrounded and technology is involving outside of hospitality in ways um, which sometimes um, only seems to be connected when you think about it, and, yes. um, and therefore and there you have to step in because, like even even people of my father's or my mother's age are now um, used to go to a Woolies and literally scan the product themselves, which yes. wasn't mm. which wasn't doable no. ten years ago, no. and, and everybody's getting used to it. So that sort of reflects on on the hospitality industry, and you mm. have. You know, you have the weirdest comments from people who say like, oh, but why don't you use these little butter things and which beeps and then you can pick it up and, you know, mm. people are involving in that system. So you um, and the patients, the time, um, everything is getting more compact. Everybody is in a rush. Everybody wants to do this. And, and especially in the cafe business, it's, it is about having a seamless experience. Obviously, the consistency and the quality of the product is the major priority. Mm. But uh, yet you have to have a, a, a quick in and out. You have to have a no fuss around technology mm -hmm. and at the back of the house and I think that was we've been discussing before 
um, we started that podcast um, in a conversation outside, um, that it is also about uh, enabling the, host, the, the, the person who works actually to, to have um, less reports, to have uh, mm -hmm. more seamless um, experience themselves um, in regards to finishing up the day and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because um, um, it is really hard, I mean, it's like rules and regulations are getting more, um, you know, more pressure on the, on the entrepreneur as such and, you know, and you end up suddenly doing like reports or end of clo or closings which takes you one and one and a half hours and um, I would rather spend my time with my daughter <laughs> and my wife than hanging out uh, yeah. in a restaurant and finishing up what a computer could do. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So early last year we, we, had, uh, we did a big CX research project on you guys, you know, the customers, and we'd sort of grown up in the, the like as a company in that SaaS generation where it was yes. like automation, do it yourself and everything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone puts out into graphics, everyone wants to do it themselves, but yeah. It hadn't quite gelled, and I think um, that was a bit before you started using Kana, but Chris, you were definitely around in those days, and like we didn't have inbound phone support and a whole bunch of things like that, and well. when we went and did some more research, we realized that like two of the key things that came out of this one, make you feel valued, yes. uh, and if you're serving, servicing people who are serving customers in that way, they expect a similar kind of experience, of course, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes. and then another one was don't get between me and my customer and so we were kind of in this like self-service technology driven experience world and yep. that didn't translate into to what merchants want to give their customers mm -hmm. and a lot of people get into hospitality and this is another thing we're talking about before but a lot of people who are really driving hospitality forward uh, that are looking for new ways to do things are also people who are driven by passion they're not driven by efficiency. That, mm. And you can see that they, through the 90s, there was a whole bunch of people who bought hospitality because they thought it was a good business idea. Of course. Mm. It's not. No. It's not it's good one of the worst business you can it's, it's yeah. crap. Yeah. Financial. <laughs> yeah. And yes. the, only, the only way you'll survive in Australia is if you are passionate with efficiency supporting it. Mm -hmm. So instead of us trying to create solutions to automate that experience, it was starting to look at, okay, well, how do we make sure that we can take away any of the stuff that doesn't help you serve your customer? So keep me focused on my customer. Don't get between me and my customer. That's my job. That's what I do as a, as a business owner, as a hospitality professional. Sure. You need to make the other stuff disappear. Mm. So technology isn't the experience you want to create, at least not in, in the space we're talking about. You know, there yeah. are you know, fast moving consumer goods where mm. you get the 7-Eleven. You, you don't go there to a McDonald's or to a 7-Eleven to get service. You go there to get <laughs> mm. like a, a utility, a commodity. You just want to like drink some petrol let's say, yes. it's not coffee, but <laughs> like you, you go there for that experience. Something resembles mm. coffee, yeah. And uh, the rest of the industry, where we all live and we're all focused, is there's relationship, there's experience, there's emotion there, and that's why you can't automate it. Yes. Mm. But you've got to be able to make it efficient, you've got to make sure that the technology can mm. support whatever experience you want to create. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So and it, it, it's, it's it should be, isn't it? yeah, absolutely. It's an enabler of mm -hmm. you know, enhanced customer experience. Yeah. If it doesn't enable your staff to spend more time face to face with customers, yes, adding that value that automation can't or the mm. machine can't, then it's an exercise in futility. It really, you know, it needs to be, it needs to do the heavy lifting. Yes. You know, technology should be doing the heavy lifting of the business, mm. you know, taking care of all the, the administrative side of things that boring side of things that yeah. you enables passionate people to do the things that they're passionate about. Yeah. Do, you do you think that's going to um, 
filter through? How, how, where do you think it's going to stop? Because McDonald's, McDonald's is now rolling out worldwide their kiosks, which are for customers so they can order mm. from those. Which I've never used. Now they've said that about, <laughs> they've said it's because of service, right? And they said they're not, they're not cutting staff and they're using staff in different areas of the business, which is interesting because they're now bringing out food to you and that kind of mm. stuff, so I can understand that. But the main reason they're doing it is because the research they've found and the trials they've found is that their average ticket goes up about five to 10%. 100%, yeah. Mm. Exactly. So do you think more brands are going to do that as time goes on because you know the customer facing part, which is integral in hospitality, we're not talking about a retail environment here. We're mm. talking about a hospitality environment which I want to be served, I want to be talked to. Mm. How far do you think it's gonna go? I mean, I, I love, I think as a frontline QSR retail hospitality, we can take our cues from all sorts of other aspects of the industry. And if you look at the hotel industry, yes. um, the idea of the concierge in the pocket, you know, where you've got uh, every guest has a mobile in yes. their hand. Yes. Uh, and if you know, that guest can walk into the hotel and immediately they're pinged, they've got a, you know, access to an app on their phone. Yes. And on that app, they have the ability to you know, book events or you know, check in or you know, taking away all that kind of boring aspect of a hotel experience and enable that customer experience, that person who's forward facing to come and you know, greet them and make them feel welcome, make them mm. feel loved and cared for. Mm. Uh, you know, taking that to the nth degree, mm. you know, I think we can certainly look at that in the, in the cafe space. Yes. Yeah, right. how, do we, how do we optimize the mobile experience without making it feel clinical, without yeah. removing <coughs> the disconnect mm. you know, from, from a barista to a customer, server to a customer. I think you know, Mac is pretty forward thinking. We can learn a lot from, from their approach. We might not necessarily agree with how they do it or the products they serve, but you know, if we're not looking the to King's them. The efficiency. Absolutely, yeah. And it's not only McDonald's who comes up um, with, um, with the fact that you know, average check rises when you, when you get, get onto a kiosk application. I mean, mm. it's like everybody who uses it says basically the same thing because what it does, it doesn't force us up on you because like there's a, a, every QSR model or every successful has a way of upscaling and asking people the POS mm -hmm. systems, asking do you want another blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. um, people feel less, less put pressure on by a human being and then, but then giving the yeah. choice of, oh, do you want add this? You want to add this? You want to add this? You're like, okay, sure. Um, and so there's, there's where, where the advantage stands there. Is there um, an overall solution to everything? I don't think so. Um, I also see that it very much, I think it depends very much also on the on, on that kind of hospitality you're serving with. And um, it's gonna be an interesting way we are going down now in regards to technology and it will be interesting to see where we at us meeting in 10 years back mm -hmm. again and seeing where, where everything mm -hmm. evolved, where the, the QSR market go, where the um, cafes go, where the restaurants go. Um, I think the balance is always to see on, and to have the customer as your main priority yes. in mind. Mm -hmm. yes. And that can't change regardless of technology. Um, when we first start came, uh, like when POS systems involved in a way that the POS was mobile and you could take it literally to the table, the first thing everybody noticed was that the waiter um, was having less attention to the customer because they didn't really so much focus on their iPad or whatever it was yes. or that little machine yes. and putting it little, yes. um, with that little thing on, on there. And that was a negative because they, they, they wouldn't sell upsell that much to the customer because they didn't have eye contact. They've been looking mostly off that screen. They've been sort of using it the way um, 
do you think that's going to be as important as you go to a, if let's say you go let's say a waiter goes to a table and takes an order on an iPad yeah. where seventy percent of that table is already on their phone and not even looking at that waiter? Do you think do you think that's going to be as important moving forward? Um, yeah, I think so. I okay. think uh, we still should um, we should, should be unable to to have the full attention on the customer. Yes. And it is, it, it, is, it is about training with, the, with staff to make sure that they're on top of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's getting sometimes in, in some restaurants and uh, it's getting almost bizarre. I mean, you, you guide somebody to the table and this person doesn't look up and still watching like a, yes. a mm-hmm. series on Netflix on his mobile phone. Mm-hmm. That crazy it had become in, yes. in some venues. Um, but yeah, again, it's your customer. Is that the one, the person who's paying your bills at the end of the day? Mm. And it is a chance, actually. I think you know, mm. um, being on, on full attention. And if you have, and you have, at the end of the day, you have to adapt to the market. You have to adapt to the customer. It's not the customer has to adapt to you. Mm. I, I think it's just curious if, if we're gonna, if the whole the whole industry over a period of time is gonna get to a point. Josh, I'll let you talk in a minute um, <laughs> about um, if if big scale venues mm-hmm. are gonna have. At restaurant, uh, at table, di- like actually the customer ordering at the table, not even having a waiter, like a runner come out. Because I think the thing that the industry is not thinking about, both in retail and hospitality, is guilt. So a, cu- a customer going to McDonald's and not talking to a, 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 a staff member is more likely to purchase more because they don't feel guilty about asking for that extra Sunday, or they don't feel guilty about upsizing chips. Mm. I'd, I'd be interested to know where, where the supermarkets are at with self-serve and mm. see what their basket value is compared to going through a checkout and someone scanning all their items and seeing what they're purchasing and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, I actually deliberately delivered for Uber Eats for three months because I wanted to see what that whole transition was like mm-hmm. and what people were buying on delivery, mm. because I think people and the basket value for delivery is much more than what it is in restaurant mm. most of the time, mm. because there's no point where you actually talk to someone. Mm. You see someone in your in your um, in your hallway or whatever who delivers the food, and they go, "Here you go, see you later," and that's it. There is no judgment. There is no judgment. There is no judgment. Yeah. So I'm interested in that. Mm. Mm. But it also depends on the experience you want to have. Most and, definitely, and, 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 that's and, and therefore, you like if you get into a, um, a certain restaurant in the, which is just hip and, and new and has this wonderful produce and whatever it is. Yes. Uh, certainly, a different experience. It is just simply it comes down to the experience you want to have yourself. Mm. Yes. And if that's um, and that's surely different um, in the QSR market where you mm. go into a food court and you literally have half an hour time and yes. it is about speed. It is not Correct. about it's it's all about speed. It is yes. like when is my food ready because I only have a half an hour mm. and I have to go up and down from the office. Mm. Yes. So that's a completely different expectations from the customer towards you going out with your girlfriend uh, on 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 a on an intimate dinner and yes. you want to treat her nicely and you would be annoyed if technology would she technology would stand in the way of mm. you yeah, having a fantastic right. time at this cozy little table with mm. the, yeah. yeah it's if becoming you, more ubiquitous in its nature it infiltrates every step of that hospitality process wherever it is and I think correct so is it is it the techno is it is it is it the challenge for the technology company or for the people to develop technology in order to adapt to that different models and how or, or are you going to say like okay you're almost the creator of your own destiny Sort of, mm. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that sense. Yeah, yeah. 
straight away you can see, like we optimize kind of the point of sale experience for mobile. About the same time the guys opened the Willara store at Sonoma, which mm -hmm. was about two and a bit years ago. There really hasn't been that much adoption of it. And uh, I think if we were more focused on the US, we would see more of it. But Australia, where you're eating out generally in, in a restaurant, is it's an experience. It's I want service, I want to have a relationship with people, even if that's not necessarily a deep one, there's that trend towards it. So if, if you look at the business, you've got businesses that focus purely on service with good quality products supporting that, and then there's brands that focus on quick service, great product. Yes. But then there are a whole bunch of people who don't excel at either end of that, <coughs> and they often are mixed across multiple service methods. Mm, yes. Mm. And they have to be, particularly in capital cities and things like that, where they need to leverage as much of the time they can serve as possible, mm. and as much of the real estate they've got. Mm -hmm. You might only have 20 people who are willing to come in and sit in there. Mm. You know, and any business district, you've got to notice that. I mean, you've noticed it a lot mm. of Castle Ray. Mm. Like, you get people who want to go in and out, so you've got a section of there purely dedicated to people want to sit there and have that experience and then you've got this like fast lane you see you, you walk in the speed limit on, on the floor says 100 <laughs> if, you, if you go to their store right, and you okay. can see the whole store is designed around it right so uh it's i think the the biggest thing for us is not creating those trends it's recognizing one what what are those ordering mechanisms and the workflows for the business yeah. two where are the inefficiencies in that mm -hmm. and then three how do we actually educate the businesses to not just implement them, but implement them so that they work in harmony. Mm. And we've worked, actually both Joseph and I and Chris and I at different times to look at how we can do this do in that. different mm. businesses. And yeah. frankly, some of the new methodologies, so these new ordering methods with technology, don't work with your conventional layout. Mm. Yes. So you, if you really want to look at how technology is going to change that customer experience, you have to design the customer experience around the customer and the experience they want to have. You can't mm -hmm. just like throw some tables at the front, have the bench out the back. Mm. Um, and so, a lot of a lot of it is not actually the technology that's difficult because it's not hard to create an ordering experience yes it's when do you surface that to a customer how do you fulfill that and then how do you distinguish between which experience a customer wants to have you can't just walk in and say here's a kiosk order from that because mm. that person might just want to have a conversation with someone mm. yeah vice versa if i want to walk in i don't necessarily want you to go okay sit down I'll bring the menu out with some water. I'll come back if I, I just want to yeah. a sandwich, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. So it's, it's, it's quite important to funnel them into the right experience. Mm. And then the technology itself is just there to support the pieces that it needs to. Absolutely. And we, we, we spoke earlier about that guilt attached. Yes. You know, when, when dealing with someone on a one-to-one -one level, dealing with a human you know, and the digital nature of ordering, you kind of feel that guilt. But I think there's, there's also, as operators, when you get customer service right, you'll have customers that are willing to spend more on your menus. Yes. You know, and there's studies that say upwards of 25% mm. will spend that much more when you get that customer experience yeah, right. Totally correct. So it's really on all of us as operators or, or those that support operators to make sure you know, the CX is front and centre of every decision we make. So, Josh, from a, from a counter perspective and then, and then other technology companies as well, do you think the win for newer venues is to work with designers at the same point of concept in order to make sure you balance each other? Because usually you're just talking to the owner. You're not talking to the designer who's thinking about workflow, um, you know, the customer journey, all that kind of stuff. All they're thinking about usually is making a really crackingly good 
site that looks great, hopefully yeah. is built really well, and they yeah. can take pictures of and use in portfolios, right? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe win design awards for. So how how is how how can technology companies play a role at that design stage? Yeah, I mean with with any product or experience, the further up the supply chain you go, the earlier the journey, the better it's going to be. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think talking about point of sale, point of sale is one product. It's one. It's like saying oven. Yeah, right. yes. you right. don't experience around your oven. Yeah. Your oven does what you need it to do. Yes. If you want to steam stuff, bake stuff, whatever, it's got to do that. Yeah. So the point of sale is one part, um, but definitely there needs to be a bigger emphasis on well thought out uh, service design. Mm. And this is something that Europe uh, has a bigger history in than Australia. We don't really have this concept of service design. It's a growing trend. Yes. Uh, and you can see some really good examples of that, not just in hospitality. Like if you've been to uh, the roads and maritime services, right? Mm -hmm. Which used to be the RTA. Everyone hated the RTA. Now a lot of it's gone online, so they've funneled a lot yes. of customers into that. Yeah. But when you do need to go in store, yes, it's a far better experience. I don't know exactly what they've done, <laughs> but if someone said to me, "Wow, I actually had a really good experience," <laughs> you're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for you to even think about telling yes. me that means something's changed. Yeah. yeah. So the, the beauty is they're doing it yeah. with, with less staff. They've reduced their overheads. Exactly. And increased efficiency. Like, mm. Even I was impressed when you first came. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, as, there you, as, go. you know, professionals yeah. focused on customer experience. We all sort of in there going, "Wow, yeah. this is yeah. really yeah. good." And it, it's often not big changes that need to be made, but if you can't get the experience you're looking for from from a layout, from a technology, from whatever, it's uh, it's not going to work. Mm. You're in the fast lane, you should be in the slow lane, and the slow lane, you should be in the fast lane. Yeah, sure. So the layout of the store, particularly when you've got production. Um, quick service and table service all mixed together can be quite difficult. Um, so you need to have a pretty clear concept of what you want to do when right. you're designing a store. Of course. And I think there's been, and I haven't really done many fit outs directly, but I've been sort of across a bunch of them and I've seen some pretty dumb things happen. Yes. I've seen some really intelligent things happen. Yes. But obviously there's the production workflows in a business. Yep. You know, a lot of people don't think about where is the bin going to live. Yep. Which way does the oven door open? Yep. It's the same thing. When my customer has done X, where mm -hmm. will they go? Mm -hmm. You know, so um, that's super important to think about those things with the layout and then how the staff will serve them, what happens. You know, good example is when you order a pizza. So we were at the pizza shop the other day, mm -hmm. that it's fit out stage, and there's a section there which could be used to seat another four people. Yep. But it, it runs to the bar. Right, and it's going to be high foot traffic, so there'll be people that live nearby that will walk in and they'll just order a pizza. Okay. It's a good quality brand, right? And okay. They're, they're going to order nice pizzas. And I go, okay, well, you can fit four people there, mm -hmm. maybe, but it's going to be a crap place to sit for half an hour. Sure. But it'd be a great place to upsell them a cocktail while they're waiting for their pizza. Mm. And just those little service design pieces like that, as opposed to them just waiting like awkwardly in the street yes. while they're there, or maybe going to the bar next door and having a drink. Mm -hmm. So. It's mm. little things like that that can be the difference between, uh, yeah, it's okay, it's not nice pizza, or mm. it's awesome, I love going there, I have a little like, cocktail away for my pizza, and then I walk home with it. So, mm. that's uh, a long-winded answer to your question. Yeah. <laughs> and well, you're meeting customer at their expectation. Mm. You know, if, if they yeah. do have to wait, the expectation goes up. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if they're seated quickly, and you, know, you can get, get the flow happening, get a cocktail in their hand, then you know, you, you, they're happy. But yeah. if you've got them waiting awkwardly, you know, in that sort of icky spot that wasn't, you know, well designed or wasn't considered, yeah, yeah the expectation, man, this food better be good because I'm really uncomfortable at this point. Most definitely. Yeah, so. 
So it is about the overall, again, uh, about the customer experience and, and the importance to that one. And it even starts before you come mm. into your store. So yes. it's like, um, that's also an interesting point. And um, at the end of the day, I, I almost feel everything, uh, when, I'm t when we're talking about new technology and the new possibilities, for me, the first question is always like, how can I, how can I get more seamless? How can I get, yep. how, how takes it the hassle away from something? And um, in an ideal world, you would have somebody who, come, you, who can come into your cafe or your restaurant seamlessly, doesn't really have to order or whatever, and then leaves, mm -hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? Why through going to the pay of has, uh, to the hassle of paying? Yes. If you find them, like looking at the, the, the news development with Amazon doing with the supermarkets in the US, you know, mm -hmm. you just take your bag and you leave. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that yeah how that plays out long term. But they're obviously rolling out a second mm. side of thing now. So, but I think it goes both ways. There is again with the expectation if a customer does want that one to one service, if they yes. do want to be wined and dined and taken through an experience, you know, yeah. it's it's like yeah. when you uh, a good sommelier comes to the table, mm. knows what you're ordering, mm. yeah. and and straight exactly. away it's like a show, right? It is. It's and a show. that's the showmanship. It's there's nothing better. Yeah, I think with. That's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people who are f focused on customer experience do tend to end up front of house because they're much closer to that experience. They yes. Just, like you make great food, but you don't really see people eating it. You're not really interfacing with them unless you and like you come out and explain the dish, which is only at that very top echelon of hospitality. Mm -hmm. um, so how does technology then fill those gaps? Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the shortcomings in your service staff. Who, yeah, they, they know it's a white wine, but beyond that, it's... Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's white. <laughs> I think recognition is always key. Um, I think people want, if, if you want to have a customer experience, it's about being recognized. It's like on, on top of that list. And um, technology can be um, too overwhelming with that. Mm. I mean, there are examples outside face recognition and that sort of stuff. I'm, yeah. not, a, I'm not a huge fan yeah. because it, I, I think it would take the attention away from my staff looking after that person indeed. Right. Mm -hmm. And because it has to be, I want to be recognized for being myself. I don't want to be recognized because I have, I know that they have a system in place to do so. Yes. So yeah. it is finding just that right balance. And um, as good hotels have lists and, 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 and notes on the expectations mm -hmm. of that customer, which then makes it again a seamless experience because mm -hmm. then um, I'm coming, I'm checking into the hotel, which I'm checking in four times a year and they know exactly mm -hmm. which cocktail I like, they know exactly which is my preferred room and that yeah. makes me come back. Mm -hmm. And then so I'm like getting that. less price mm -hmm. sensitive as well mm -hmm. because I know I am looked after there and yeah. that's key to and that's customer that's service. I think yes. that's trust. It's building trust, yeah. and building a rapport. I was gonna talk about privacy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah to, to that point, you know, yes. where, 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 when are we crossing the line? Is facial recognition technology, you know, are we, is that crossing that line where it's like, you know, I actually know a little bit too much about you, you know, or is it access to, you know, they, they like a specific drink, you know, the, the system mm. has viewed their Facebook yeah. profile, yes. Mai Tai's on the beat, that's what they're up, let's, let's get a Mai Tai in their hand. Yeah, How that's far do we want to take that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, when does it become scary? Right. Mm. So that, that's the question. I mean, if you, you let's say that uh, Open Table as an order as a um, reservation platform mm. will all of a sudden link to counter and it'll be able to tell you what that customer ordered last time they were in or something mm. like that. Are they doing that already? Yeah, they're mm. starting to do that, right? Mm. So then, a, then a then that waiter goes to the table and goes, "Oh, 
Joseph, I know you loved this wine last time. Did you want to try that again? Or we've got a new varietal mm. that is slightly a bit of a change that will really work with what you just ordered. Mm. Mm. Is that intrusive? Because they know what um, happened last time? I, I know my opinion. So I would say yes. for me, I know definitely the answer. I would say like if it's in your restaurant, that's yes. absolutely fine. If you have that knowledge from me dining in another restaurant yes. from a different brand with nothing to relate to you, yes. it would be scary. Um, but I'm not. I'm not the measurement. No, we are not because, like, I think that's a that has to do with the generations and it has to do with with age. That has to do with how you grow up and what your personal preferences are. There are people out there who doesn't um, are over concerned with their privacy and mm. people that are not bothering at mm. all. Yeah. And mm. problem with things like facial recognition is it's it it needs to be an opt-in thing. But once you get to something that's that degree of automation you can't easily opt out of it. Mm. If you look at something that like checks you in through geolocation or Bluetooth beacons or something like that, that's an app on your phone. Yes. You're still completely able to control that experience yes. and it's a convenience for you that you can control. Yes. So I personally don't see any viable future for facial recognition in hospitality, not yeah. in, because there's no, there's no reason for it, right? It's, it's a slower, more difficult way of recognizing who that person is and where they are than anything else. Mm. Right, you've got proximity things, you've got the GPS, you've got geofencing, you've got you know, you've got all that kind of stuff where you can say, I've got a phone, not me, I've got this phone. So to push it off. That's on there that can mm. say, I'm within the proximity of this. Yes. I'm gonna tell them that I can control that, that I'm within the store. Yes. They can use that to enrich the existing relationship we've got. Yes. Like my favourite products or my birthday, whatever else. Yeah. I don't expect you to remember all those things about me, but if you can have that information stored and you remember that through some other mechanism, that's fine. But don't pretend that you, you know me because you've seen my face. Mm. Like if I've chosen to tell you I'm in the store, I know that you're gonna leverage that, but it's because we've, we've come to an agreement around that. Mm. I've decided to download the app, I've decided to turn on an automatic check-in. And now based on that, you can improve the service you were already going to give me. Mm. I didn't have to look at a screen on the way in and go. Mm. So it's the intrusive nature of it all. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's um, that that trust that we have with our server is very quickly eroded when things go wrong. You know, it's, yes, it's like the yeah you know, the point of sale, <clears throat> the you know, be it a, a mobile optimized platform or um, a payment device at the table. You know, when the customer taps mm -hmm. and expects it to go through and sees that little error message. Yes. Yes. Wow! Freak out! Are you, yes. are you charging me twice? Yes. What's, yeah. what's happening there? Yeah. And there's also some embarrassment in that point because you're never quite sure whether it's your issue or their yep. issue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's. Yes. Uh, and then they go, oh no, we've had that issue all day. Yeah. And they go, oh yeah, sure you have. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't charge me $32 again. You yeah. Know what I mean? so. Yeah. Or even if you're with, with peers, that one can be quite uncomfortable. It's like yes. if you've offered to pay for something and, yes. <laughs> and yeah. it doesn't work, everyone's like, oh, yeah. reach oh, if they want yeah. money. Oh, I've got the money, it's okay. It's like, no, there's money in that cat. That's a really awkward experience. It's like that transaction is a very at least within our social hierarchy, is a very important piece of the puzzle. Yes. Because if you can make that disappear, it, it makes it just an emotional connection. Mm. It's not a transaction. We mm. used to have this saying like, let's make an interaction, not a, a transaction. It's really naff, but it kind of describes that thing, right? You, you want the transaction to disappear. I want to come in, like you said before, I, I want to get that experience. product. And ideally, if you know what that is, cool. If you don't, that's fine, because some days I change it up. If you've got a really weird order, and most of the time the brisk is going to remember anyway, or the smell is going to remember it. After that, I just want to walk out. I don't want to have to pull my card out because it's like, you know who I am. I know who you are. Yeah. I come here all the time. 
if I go to somewhere completely unknown, that's fine. I expect some kind of anonymous identification. Mm. But where I frequent, and this is really where technology can help, is how do we make that frictionless? Mm. Well, how are we making people feel special? Mm. Uh, how are we making them feel cared for utilising technology? Yeah. Mm. And, yep. and to the point that their trust is enabled, they're not freaked out by it, and experience is only enhanced. Mm. If it's a detraction or a distraction, yep. then it's not going to work. But if it is an enhancement where they know just enough you know, to be able to curate an experience for you, then it should be a positive thing. So that's a good question. I mean, uh, Puzzle Rusties use uh, check-in payments, which has a, a small loyalty component tied to it, but also creates a bit of a channel for you guys to promote to those customers. Yeah. What's the feedback been from, from those customers around that experience? I mean, we're f certainly finding, uh, so we, we can use push notifications and we send out notifications to customers in their hand. Um, the uptake, especially when it's targeted, when people know that oh, I'm being singled out because of my habits or because of my spend pattern or, yes. or something like that, they do feel they feel loved, they feel looked after. Really? Um, which, is, which is interesting. I would have thought it would be the opposite. Mm. It, <laughs> it depends, and I think there's, because it comes from an authentic space. Because you've built that relationship with yes. them already. Yeah. So there, there has been the, the foundation of good, you know, hospitality basics where we've we've developed a rapport, we've developed that trust. Yeah. Mm. Now they just they're actually they're out there as brand ambassadors, as yeah. advocates for what they it's an what extension. we do. It's mm -hmm. an extension of that. Yeah. So and Very it's true. you know if if we were to, it's harder for the big players out there to. To be able to get in it's very difficult to make that genuine. Yeah, yeah. hundred yeah. percent agree. That's like getting newsletters. You know, like mm. you, you hate the ones you don't sign up for. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Because like you just ordered with them something for your for your mother-in-law, and now you suddenly <laughs> yeah. overwhelmed with like emails from them, which annoys me the most. But for some newsletters, I sign up and I read them regularly mm. because they yeah, give me right. some advantage. They give you good content. Yeah. yeah. Or give me a reasonable content. So, do you reckon that's why it hasn't? fully integrated what you're talking about, Chris, hasn't really fully integrated into the hospitality scene is because we get the annoying newsletters or mm. Domino's pinging me all the time telling mm -hmm. me about their specials and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best, plat one of the best platforms oh, absolutely. going oh, around. Done amazing. Amazing, amazing how they've done it. But do you think that's why it hasn't fully integrated? Because restaurateurs, cafe owners, etc., mm. are worried about their customers being annoyed by that process? Yeah, I, I think to a degree. Uh, well, seek their approval. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Seek so uh, often knocked out. In their trust, seek their approval, and then off you go. Mm -hmm. Then it helps you. Then it supports you. Don't do it without being asked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's probably a more fundamental element there, and this is the insight we get, is most people are just trying to survive. Mm. In hospitality. Right. I mean, right. you guys are both exceptional at what you do. You're in that top percentile. You're not worrying about survival as much as how to drive that experience forward because you know that two years from now if you stop, that you will be worrying about survival. But yeah, yeah. I've been thinking, uh, and this has come up a few times, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Mm -hmm. There needs to be one of those for business. Right. And all of this stuff around relationships and customers and whatever else, they kind of feel like it's down there somewhere. Like once I solve the shit, the fact my chef didn't show up or that I yes. don't have a brist or he keeps screwing up the coffee or Everything will be okay. I can't pay my bill, then yes. I can start talking about how to engage my customers more and create a brand. But yeah. Let me solve this one problem before yeah. I get to that one. A lot yeah. of these operators, uh, they don't have a story, mm. not an articulated one, mm. one that will attract business. They've got a location, they've yep. got a product, yep. and through some happenstance that they may have controlled or not, yes. that attracts customers. Yes. Mm. 
Mm. And then they do their best to serve those customers in a way that makes sense. Interesting. Mm. And that's how you end up with burgers with the lot and the 12 different variations of it in the local like light industrial area. And mm. they do everything and anything and they're still yes. running a cash register because that's just what they do. Yes. Mm. Uh, Agreed. Uh, like that's that whole other end of mm. the commodity mm. that is food and beverage that mm. we often don't talk about. <coughs> and also the area that's got the most potential you know, a lot of people just want their bacon egg roll. It doesn't matter how you cut it. Doesn't matter if it's wood smoke. Doesn't matter if you've got the most fancy mayonnaise. At the end of the day, they just want a bacon egg roll. They want yep. to pay four bucks for it. Mm. Yeah, and they want it to be consistent. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, technology at that end is almost much easier because they don't care about the service. They just care about the ease of getting the product. Yep. Yeah. Um, technology in the higher end places, it's it's about at least the way that we often see it is about taking care of all of the stuff that will stop you from providing service. Yes. And that's working backwards into all of the operational stuff that happens behind mm. the scenes. Mm-hmm. Make that as efficient as possible so that your staff could do what's best, mm. which is talk to customers. Yeah. How do we automate those processes that are otherwise yeah. boring? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like killing cash. Mm. Yes. Do you, do you think, how long do you think cash has gone before we, we you know, a lot of venues Let's say, let's say, how long do you think it's before fifty percent of hospitality venues go cashless? We've uh, successfully operated our, our Brisbane store cashless for over two years now. Okay. Um, and it's it's been great. It, okay. Uh, it, not to, to speak ill of our, our northern neighbours, but I, perhaps not as uh, progressive mm-hmm. in some of their yep. sort of thinking. Uh, in, some senses, yep. nice yeah, way possible, especially in a hospitality sense. Most so where we, um, we've seen a, a, a business where initially we focused on uh, producing exceptional coffee and really minimal food. Yes. But the market demanded more food, you know, less concern about the quality of the coffee as long as there's a good price, along with yep. good food, and, and away we go. Yep. And we sort of went in and we thought, well, let's, let's give it cashless a go. Let's see how we go. Interesting. Um, and it took a, bit of, a little bit of time to get it going, but we'll never go back. We'll never go back. Yeah. And there's no cash up the end of the day. Exactly. <laughs> so there's so much to savings, you know, mm. efficiencies found. Mm-hmm. We, we actually, really interesting point, just recently we'd run a campaign up there um, uh, in partnership with a charity uh, to um, uh, basically donate coffees for homeless. Uh, oh, you know, a dollar for, from every coffee through Cafe Smart. Oh, um, Cafe Smart, yeah. Yeah, and it was lovely fantastic, lovely, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And um, uh, what we found was uh, at our Sydney Civita Cafe, we had, uh, along with the dollar from every coffee, we also had the little uh, POS collection boxes. So mm-hmm. they're the, the boxes where people can put in their change, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Put in a fiver if they're feeling particularly generous. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the Sydney Civita store, great. We, we raised you know a good deal of money. It was fantastic. Um, we still run a, a, a cash model at the not cash only, obviously, um, at the Sydney store, but in, in Brisbane, uh, that little yellow box, very, very low cash. Right. Very small amount of money in there. Why? Because people, oh, I didn't bring any cash with me. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. the, the guy, the, the salvo guy sitting with his little table at Central, I reckon he's yeah. having a hard time. Hey, mm. If you had a one dollar tap and go on the way through. Oh, it did, we actually it. have it now. Oh, they got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've seen them now time. Tapless. Yeah, they're a brand, uh, they're, they're a, Quest, which does that. Yeah. It has um, hey, little tap things, and it's automated to one dollar, two dollars, five dollars, whatever. Wow. You just tap, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, the collaboration we just did with Oz Harvest with the Follonoma Cafe, we actually set up a customer-facing display so they could increase their order and donate that difference. Yes, and that's been far superior to them having just 
coins. Yes. Mm. I actually don't remember the last time I had coins in my wallet. I don't mm. think my, my wallet even has a section for coins. <laughs> so. Cool. Last question I have um, for you guys, and I really appreciate the chat today. I appreciate the openness. I think it's been a really good podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, do you think that as we move towards more automation and customer experience, do you think we're going to get job losses and and if you, if you don't, do you think that's actually going to improve the customer service that we get inside of hospitality, whether that be fast food, fast casual, or, or high end to some degree? <laughs> Might be a pretty big question, but I thought I'd leave that till last. Josh, do you want to start? Maybe. <laughs> I've got some ideas. Yeah. I'm interested to hear what these guys say. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure. Um, I mm. may even see this an advantage, and I could. I would, I could see a way where that I actually increases the amount of jobs you need around hospitality as such. Yes, that yes. would be a thing which we have to figure out. At the end, of, at the end of the day, what what job can be given away and really put into uh, being replaced by technology yes. and everything which is on a customer experience on a face-to-face -face level and on an organizational part which a computer cannot do, mm. you don't have to worry. Yes. Um, everything else, yes. Mm. Um, but then other demands or other other needs are needed or, or getting out of that situation and then you suddenly, I don't know, you maybe need less people on a POS sim standing in front of a QSR, but at the other hand you need somebody who drives it there because mm. you do everything with Deliveroo <coughs> and Uber. Mm. That's creating a new market in the same space, so to say. Yes. Um, it's just redistribution. Mm. So, uh, hospitality in a lot of countries is the home of the low skilled who know how to talk to people. Yes. True. Yeah, very true. And that's not necessarily something that I think the hospitality industry wants to keep doing. Mm. Right? It's much nicer to go, okay, you can come work with the company and we're going to put you through a simple education process. Mm. So, you are now doing this much more effective, highly mm -hmm. skilled thing. Yes. Then the basic thing. Yes. Um, but there's actually a this really interesting book called The Second Machine Age. I think that's what it's called. And it talks about how uh, often the things that are the most simple mm. for humans, low skilled work, gardening, cooking, are actually the hardest things to automate. The things that are quite technical are actually easy to automate. You can automate accounting integrations now. Mm. Mm. But I don't think there's a robot that exists that could make hollandaise sauce. So when you, it might, mm. I mean, that's, it's not that hard to make, but, yes. mm. you know, or a souffle or like, you know, those kinds of things, which. But as much as it will, the yeah. customer accept that. Correct. And mm. because I've come to experience yeah. that chef's food, you know, his hand, his touch, her, yeah. her love, her care, mm. you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm paying for. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like the things that are more complex physically yes. will, will remain. Like you can automate making coffee but all that happens is your brister, instead of making the coffee, he's telling you a story of the coffee mm. or he's helping serve you, you know? So you, you're just redistributing things. Mm. Yeah, there might be a little bit less people overall, but the people that are there will, will often grow into, a, to, at least from my opinion, a higher order skill set. 
Yep. Mm. They won't be stuck just cleaning the floors, although it would be great if there was a robot that would clean the floors. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are robots which do so hollandaise because that's the one you buy in, more or less, yeah. in big volume packages. Oh, come on, is that really hollandaise, though? <laughs> no, I'm saying, and that's, ex- and that's, exactly, the, that's exactly the point. Yeah. Mm. You don't come for that experience because... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and no, I agree. I think it entirely it is about the, the redistribution of the labour force, the redistribution yes. of um, customer interaction. You know, how do we utilizing technology, how we curate and tailor that experience for the individual. Yep. How do we free up that staff member to spend more time engaging with that customer? Mm. You know, knowing that, oh, that barista <coughs> knows the difference between a, you know, a washed coffee and a natural coffee. And I'm really interested to find out more about it. Yeah. And he's not distracted by having to look down at a pitcher of milk you know, just to get the latte out, just to get the microphone right. Yes. You know, he's got a device that sits there, the jug goes in, you know, and he, as he's pouring, he's communicating, or as he's waiting for the milk, you know, he's yeah, communicating he's with, with that customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that, that transparency we spoke about earlier, where the customer is happy to pay for the experience, is happy to pay for that premium product when they know the, the story, the history, the love, the care that's gone into it all the way through that journey. Mm, most definitely. And I think that's why, you know, whilst the rise of the machine, the automation process mm. will change what a lot of those entry-level jobs look like, yes. I think there's yeah. the opportunity for the industry to, to grow and leverage, you know, and take away some of those aspects of, of yeah. our industry that no one really wants to do, mm. you know, at the end of the day, so. It falls back again to who the individual customer and his specific need to be individually treated, because that's our time. That wasn't 30 years back, but it yes. is now, and it everybody now, wants yeah. to be individual, and, mm. wants to yes. be, and that's the only experience. And most of the time, that technology with re- rationalizations are a co- uh, the, the main component of something which isn't individual as such, right? Yes. Because then it goes, it goes hand in hand with mass production of coffee mm-hmm. somewhere, and it goes ma- in hand to hand with like growing um, 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 unethically somewhere, and 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 that's and that all falls into a part because if you want to tell a story about a beautiful coffee, then you tell the story from A to Z. You state where you started, where's the farmer, where does it, mm-hmm. what is the soil, mm-hmm. what is the humidity, <coughs> yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then, th- then the information gets put through. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sh- not sure, well, I'm pretty sure that, you know, that, that oil you can buy at 7-Eleven, they don't, <laughs> they don't know the story of the beans, don't they? That's such an exciting aspect yeah. of the business. You, know, yeah. you, look at, you look at blockchain, you look at the way that, you know. It makes, um, it makes me feel human again, actually, mm. to be honest, because it's like, you know, like, it's there like is something. Circle, I, yeah. I just want to get out of all of that. I just don't want to, yeah. you know? Consume. Yeah. yeah, it's like a consumer. What, what, yeah, true. What the food production industry have done to us in the last 30 years or 40 years is an absolute disgrace. Mm. Yes. And we did it to them by telling them how cheap we wanted it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So if we can take out yeah. one of those big mm-hmm. sections of costs, mm. then 100%. that ideally won't just come off how much we pay for it. We'll actually be redistributed yeah. back into yeah. the supply yeah. chain to improve those Absolutely. processes. People will pay for stories. That's what they want to know. They want to remove yeah. the guilt, they want to remove that level of. Some of them, some don't. Yeah, some, some don't. Yeah, some no, you still have some don't care. You still have the people. Always out there. be the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I like right. people saying, "Fish, I don't care about the animal. Yes, I just want to have meat. Mm. Mm. Yes, that's right. 
There's, you, I lost all my arguments. It's like, yes. you know, I can't yes. go into there conversation no with you because there is, yeah. there's no button change. Which is, which is why there's a position for every business model within the industry. Most when people, it's like, why would I come in and pay you know, $4 for a coffee from you guys when I can go down to 7-Eleven and pay a dollar for it? Yeah. Just, it's like, absolutely, no, it's hard I disagree. to argue I think with that. It's, it should be also part of the industry's responsibilities to actually drive it and getting mm. away. And, people educating because it's more and more people you mm. can drag over to your side or out of the dark side as mm. to mm. say mm. As, as, as better our environment gets mm. and I think mm. at the end of the day if we had not stopped doing what we're doing then we all mm. I just want to make now I'm a father since two years I just want to make sure that my daughter can grow up in an environment which is like harmless yeah. and not mm. being challenged yeah she will have enough challenges to face mm. most definitely as I'm sure your parents were worried about when mm. you were coming through. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not as much. Well, uh, that was not as much. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving without the baby seat. I was not bottled out. I was sleeping in the back. Blissfully unaware. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a helmet for my bicycle. <laughs> that was the generation of roundup on a week. Which yes. made everyone celiac disease. <laughs> oh dear. Um, gentlemen, what a great way to um, finish off the podcast. Um, I really appreciate your time today. Thank, Thank you so for much. your Thank insights. You. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Sean again, guys. Hope you loved that episode of the Open Pantry podcast. That was episode 15, uh, now powered by CounterPoint of Sale. Fantastic to have these guys on board, as I've said. Um, just want to do a massive shout out to Ed and to Chloe and to Will from Counter. They have so much help uh, for, this, uh, for this podcast series now. It's really gaining some uh, gaining some traction I can just feel it uh, we both want to be a great voice in hospitality and you can you should see some of the new uh, new topics that we're going to be talking about over the over the coming months it's really really exciting um, but why don't you hit us up on Instagram either open pantry consulting uh, that's me or counterpoint of sale uh, that's them. They are doing a, a great job and uh, really fantastic to have them on board. But let us know what you think so we can make content that you want to listen to all the time. Have a good day.